Greetings, brethren, and welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2011. The Feast of Tabernacles and the Last Great Day are the high points in God's spiritual year. The Feast of Tabernacles and the Last Great Day are the focal points of God's great plan of salvation for mankind. The Feast of Tabernacles pictures a time when Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and reign with the saints over all the earth for all eternity. It's going to be an exciting time, a very interesting time, a very challenging time, a time of rejoicing, a time of peace and prosperity. For some of you, it may be your first feast. For others of you, it might be your 10th, 20th, 30th, 40th, or even 50th feast. And I'm sure that many of you, all of you, are looking forward to having the best feast ever. However, there's a key to having the best feast ever. And that key involves understanding why you are here, why you've come to the feast. Part of our challenge is to get a right focus on the feast if we're going to have the best feast ever. I'd like to talk about why you are here for just a little bit as we get into the sermon today. I'd like you to think about the question I'm going to ask you and be honest with yourself. Why are you here at the feast this year? Why did you come to the feast? Now, many answers are possible to this. As younger people, you might say, well, I came because my parents made me come. Or uh, uh, I was looking forward to getting out of school for a year or for a, a, a week. These are some reasons why some people come to the feast. Other people come to, to meet our friends, uh, to get together and talk, to have fun, to maybe eat and drink and be merry. Some people come to the feast to have a party. Some people come to see new places, eat in different restaurants, have new experiences. Now, these are not all necessarily wrong reasons for coming to the feast. However, I'd like you to think about something else. Is there a much greater purpose, a much bigger purpose for coming to the Feast of Tabernacles? Is there a much more important, much more significant, a much more profound reason for being at the Feast of Tabernacles. You might ask yourself, too, where is your focus when you ask yourself uh, this question, why are you at the feast? Was your focus on yourself? Well, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to go here, and I want to go there. Or are you focused on something bigger, beyond yourself? Do you have a bigger reason for being at the feast? This ties in with another question that we need to think about from time to time. What are your goals in life? Where are you heading? Where would you like to wind up? What would you like to do with your life? What do you want to be as you get older, as you uh, gain maturity? Again, are you focused on yourself with these goals? Or are you focused on a bigger picture? You know, we had a lecturer that used to come to Ambassador College years ago, and he was a very interesting person. I think in his early 20s, he sat down and made a list of goals, things that he wanted to do in his life. He wanted to fly a jet plane. He wanted to paddle a boat down the Nile River. He wanted to climb a mountain. He wanted to skydive. He wanted to do a lot of things. But, you know, as I was thinking back over this uh, gentleman and the lectures that I heard from him, Most all the lectures were focused on himself. I want to fly a plane. I want to climb a mountain. I want to paddle a boat down the Nile. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Now, he had a very interesting life. But his values were very different from what we find in the Bible. You know, Jesus Christ made the statement in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will fall into place. He didn't say, seek first what you want to do. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will fall into place. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, he urged his disciples to seek to become servants, to serve others, not self, but to serve others. 
These are very important questions to consider and very important instructions to consider. As we are here at the feast, why did you come to the feast? To play golf, to eat here, do this, do that? Or did you come to the feast to prepare for the coming kingdom of God where you can serve mankind for all eternity and serve God in fulfilling his ultimate purpose? You know, brethren, one of the sad lessons of life is that many people spend their lives climbing a ladder only to find out the ladder was against the wrong wall. In other words, they spend their lives doing things that aren't really that satisfying. Many people kind of fall into a job. Well, why do you have this job? Well, I graduated from high school. I was working at McDonald's, and I was made a manager, and this happened and that happened. You know, for many people, then, when they get to the age of 35 or 40, they have what is called a midlife crisis, a midlife crisis. They begin asking questions. Why am I doing this? Where am I going? What does this all mean? What is my purpose in life? You know, the Bible says that you can avoid this midlife crisis to a large degree if you follow the instructions that God gives us in his word, because he loves us. He doesn't want us to wind up at age 35, 45, 55, 65, or even 75, asking a question, why am I here? What am I doing? What is this all about? What's the purpose of life? In Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, 26, and 27, Solomon was writing to to, uh, point young people and people young enough to still learn in a direction that would be the most rewarding and the most meaningful for human beings. In verse 25, he says, let your eyes look straight ahead. In other words, have a focus, have a purpose in your life. And your eyelids look right before you. You don't be looking off of the sky and down at the ground and off in different directions. Get a focus. He says, ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you're going. Think about why you're going there. Think about why you want to be there and where you want to end up. Ponder the path of your feet. Are you going to serve yourself through life? Are you going to serve other people? What's your focus going to be? Let your And let all your ways be established. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Don't get distracted from the big purpose of life that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Focus on the coming kingdom of God. Focus on being there. Focus on participating in that coming kingdom of God. This was the advice that Solomon gave to anyone who was young enough to listen and young enough to learn. You know, if you want to live a meaningful life, an exciting life, a fulfilling life, The biblical advice is focus on serving others. Prepare to serve with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. That's what the feast is all about, to get us focused in the right direction. So why are you here at the feast? Again, it's not wrong to want to eat in nice restaurants if you can afford that. It's not wrong to want to see new things. It's not wrong to meet with friends. It's not wrong to enjoy the feast. But the ultimate reason... The big reason is that we're here to learn about the coming kingdom of God, to prepare for that coming kingdom of God, to prepare to serve with Jesus Christ in bringing the government of God to this earth. It's going to bring peace and joy and happiness to everyone who is suffering in the world today. The title of my sermon today is to catch the vision, to focus on the big picture, That's why we're here at the feast, to get our minds focused on the big picture and to catch the vision of what God is actually doing on this earth. You know, unfortunately, many people today have been told that there is no purpose for human life. You know, many atheists have uh, promoted this idea. that The only purpose of life is to just enjoy it and kind of endure it and make the best of it because you're going to die, and that's going to be it. But this is not true. There is an incredible purpose for human beings and for human life. And that purpose is outlined in the scripture. 
The question is, do you believe it? Do you want to be part of that future? Are you focused on that future? Do you see the big picture? God has a plan, and he has a purpose, and is revealed in the scriptures. I'm not going to turn to all of these scriptures, but I would encourage you to jot them down and think about them. In Isaiah 46, Isaiah is inspired to write to his critics, and uh, he's quoting God. God says, I am God. He says, I can predict the future. I know what's coming. And my purpose, my counsel, my plan is going to be accomplished because I'm God. And there's nothing else and nobody like me. God has a plan and he has a purpose. You can go to Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul is talking how God has predestined people to become part of his family. He's got a call, a small, he's calling a small group of people now. They're called the first fruits, but this is part of a predetermined plan. Now, he didn't, from what we understand, he didn't predetermine you or me to be called, but he predetermined to call a small group of people to prepare them to reign with Jesus Christ. The point is, he has a plan, he has a purpose. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, it's called an eternal purpose. God had this plan from the very beginning. And that plan is pictured in the holy days. That Jesus Christ would come and give his life as a sacrifice for human beings. The Lamb of God pictured in the Passover. The day of Pentecost. That he was going to pour out his spirit and begin a church. And that church would then spread. It would be small. It would be persecuted. The Feast of Trumpets pictures the return of Jesus Christ. The Feast of Atonement pictures the binding of Satan. Satan's going to be put out of commission. His influence is going to stop. And then the Feast of Tabernacles pictures the coming kingdom of God when Christ is going to return, set up a government, and reign on this earth. And the last great day, as we will talk about later in the feast, pictures a time when everyone who has ever lived will have a chance to learn the truth and make the same decisions to follow God that you are making today. So God's plan and purpose is pictured in the holy days. And when people turn away from these holy days and begin keeping Christmas and Easter and birthdays and things like that, but primarily these pagan holidays, Christmas and Easter and others, they lose sight of the plan of God. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. They forget, and they get wrapped up in a totally different religion. So God's plan and God's purpose is pictured by the holy days. That's why we're here at the Feast of Tabernacles, to focus on the coming kingdom of God, what's going to happen at that time. And then you need to ask the question, do you want to be part of this coming kingdom of God? What role would you like to play? Does that belief, does that faith guide your decisions in your life in terms of what do you want to be? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to wind up? What would you like to do in the coming kingdom of God? Now, just very briefly, let's notice some scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We're told there at the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the scriptures, that God created mankind, men and women, in his likeness and in his image. You weren't created in the image of a monkey. Now, you may act like a monkey sometimes. And sometimes our kids do that. <laughs> but we weren't created in the image of monkeys or apes or whales or elephants or whatever. We were created in the image of God. And Adam was commissioned to manage the earth, to dress it and keep it, to rule over it, to manage it, to learn how to manage the earth. He was created to rule. Women were created to rule with men, with their husbands, as a team. We find that very clearly delineated in the scriptures. In Revelation 5.10, John was writing at the very end of the New Testament that we are to become kings and priests to reign on this earth with Jesus Christ when he returns. This is the purpose of human life. This is what God is preparing us to do. In John, let's turn there, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Another aspect of the purpose of human life. Now, this 
implies and makes plain and clear there is a God and that God has a plan and purpose. He had this from the very beginning. John is writing here to the church. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Paul uses that term, becoming children of God. Jesus told his disciples to pray to God as our Father in heaven. As our Father in heaven. Jesus Christ is referred to as our elder brother. The church is termed our mother to nourish us and guide us. But we have been created to become the children of God. Children grow up to be like their parents. That's why the Bible says that we're to develop the mind of God, to begin living by the laws of God, do things God's way, gain God's perspective, so that we can become part of his family. That's what John is talking about. That we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now you are the children of God, and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when he is revealed, when Christ returns, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. Jesus is going to glorify us as he has been glorified. We're going to become spirit beings with eternal life, to reign on this earth with Jesus Christ, to teach people God's way of life. That is the incredible purpose. And these people say that there's no purpose in life and you're nothing but a bag of DNA just there to reproduce more DNA. This is so stupid. It's so narrow in perspective. It just doesn't catch the big picture. It's way off. But this is what you come to if you reject God and you reject his word and you don't believe what's here. But notice in verse 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope, this vision, This focus purifies himself, just as he, that is Jesus Christ, is pure. We've got to get rid of sin. We've got to get rid of wrong perspectives. We've got to get rid of wrong actions. We've got to develop the character and the mind of God so that we can become productive members of the family of God. This is what the purpose of life is all about. Jesus came to this earth in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, preaching the gospel of the coming kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel of the coming kingdom of God, that we can become part of God's family, that we can reign on this earth, that we can help bring the government of God to this earth and bring peace to this earth. That's what he was preaching about. He told his disciples, to seek first the kingdom of God. Make that the major priority in your life. What do you want to be as you get older? How do you want to use your time if you're retired? Are you preparing to become part of the family of God, preparing to reign on this earth? Are you busy uh, chasing uh, rainbows someplace with your mind off in some totally different direction, playing games on a computer all all day long? What are you doing with your time? Where is your focus? What do you hope to accomplish in your life? In Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus told his disciples, you are going to reign over the 12 tribes of Israel. See, I've called you, called 12 of you, and I want to put one of you over each one of the 12 tribes in the coming kingdom of God. He also mentioned again, John did, In Revelation 5.10, the saints are going to reign on this earth with Jesus Christ as kings, civil leaders, and as priests, religious leaders, pointing people in the right direction religiously. This is what we've been called to be part of. This is what we can prepare for if we catch the vision, if we see the big picture, and if we focus on things that are really important. The Bible reveals, brethren, the true purpose of human life. The plan of God is pictured in the holy days by keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. We're focusing on the coming kingdom of God. We're here to talk about this all week long. We're here to focus on this purpose so that it can become real to us, so that we can make decisions that that will point us in the right direction and ask God to guide us. God, open a door where I need to be. Close it where I don't need to be. Mold me, fashion me, prepare me to rule with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. The question I have for you is, do you want to be part of that? You're here at the feast. 
Do you want to be part of the coming government of God? Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Are you preparing to serve in the coming kingdom of God? Or are you here to do your own thing and just have a party? You need to think about it. God is not calling everyone right now. Let's look at another scripture. And I hope this will burn deeply into our minds. Jesus' disciples, now they weren't converted whenever they were called. He worked with them for about three years or more. But they asked him a question in Matthew 13. Because Jesus spoke in parables in many many cases. And many examples in the Bible. But he was asked in verse 10, Matthew 13, verse 10. His disciples came and said, Why do you speak to these people in parables? And he answered and he said unto them, Because it has been given to you, not the world, but given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to know what it's all about, to know what your role can be in general, and to prepare for that. But to them, it's not been given. It's just a story to many of these people because God is not calling them yet. He'll call them later, as we'll learn in the sermons about the last great day. Down in verse um, verse 16, after explaining a few more things, he said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The word blessed means to be envied. To be envied are your eyes. And to be envied are your ears. If you see and if you understand and this all makes sense to you, the only way it's going to make sense is if God is opening your minds to understand, if God is calling you. And if you're being called and you understand, then you're going to be held accountable for that. You will be and I will be. But then Jesus goes on and said, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets, many righteous men, desired to see what you see, to understand the purpose of human life. You know, these Greek philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, they didn't understand the purpose of life, but they speculated about it. They talked about it, but they didn't understand because their minds were not open. Many prophets, many righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see and hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. So Jesus is saying, you are special. God has called you to understand. You're being given a special opportunity. Don't take that lightly. I had a German professor in college that uh, he was trying to teach German to a bunch of American guys that uh, were more interested in running around outside uh, playing basketball or football or whatever. And we had a class in German uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoon from 2 to 3. Everybody on Friday afternoon was ready to go home. They were ready to leave. Uh, they didn't want to be in class. But as we walked out the door, his favorite phrase was, don't take it easy. Don't take it easy. There's a purpose for human life. You know, he had fought in the Hungarian Revolution. He saw people being killed. They were fighting for their freedom. He had a sense of urgency. And he had a sense of seriousness that many of us did not have at that time. Are you serious about the calling that God has given you? Are you serious about the opportunity that God is offering you? Another question I'd like you to think about and focus on for part of the sermon. What are we going to be doing in the coming kingdom of God? What are we going to be doing in the coming kingdom of God? What would you like to do? in the coming kingdom of God. We're going to be hearing sermons throughout the feast of what's going to be happening during the kingdom of God. Cities are going to be rebuilt. Uh, Educational systems are going to be restructured. Families are going to be reoriented. Uh, The environment's going to be restored. What would you like to do? What could you prepare to do now that would help you be ready to serve in the coming kingdom of God? How can you orient your life today so that you can prepare for the coming kingdom of God to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth. You want to think about it. What would you like to do? What would you like to talk to God about? What would you like to change? What would you like to straighten out? Somebody's going to be given these opportunities. It could be you, if you're prepared, if you're ready. What are we going to be doing in the coming kingdom of God? In Daniel 7, verse 27, it mentions there that the kingdom will be given to the saints. 
the kingdom is going to be given to the saints. They're going to reign. They're going to rule with Jesus Christ on this earth. It's going to be an exciting time. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. This is something else we're going to be doing. We're going to be reigning as kings and priests. We need to learn how to rule, how to lead, how to serve God in that capacity. But in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21, it's a prophecy about what we're going to be doing and how things are going to function in the coming kingdom of God. If we break in halfway through that verse, verse 20, it says, Yet your teachers will not be removed into a corner anymore. Your eyes shall see your teachers, and your ears will hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way. Now, you don't want to go over that way. There's going to be consequences that way. This is the way over here. This is the way that leads to life. This is the way that leads to peace. This is the way that leads to eternal life. This is how you can become part of the family of God. So people are going to see their teachers in the coming kingdom of God. Their teachers are going to say, this is the way to go. Human beings didn't learn that lesson. Some did. And the people that learned those lessons are now part of God's family. You can be part of that too. question is, where do you want to be at the end of your life? Where do you want to be when Jesus Christ returns? What are the teachers going to be teaching? Turn back quickly to Isaiah chapter 2, another prophecy about what's going to transpire in the coming kingdom of God. You know, many people today are told and many sincere people believe that Jesus Christ came to do away with the laws of God. And that all we have to do is love God and love our neighbor and everything's going to be fine. But that's not what the book says. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days, at the end of the age when Christ returns, that the mountain of the Lord's house, that is the kingdom of God, shall be established on top of the mountains. Jesus Christ is going to come back and rule the world. And the saints under him are going to rule the world. But they're going to have to rule God's way or they won't be given that opportunity. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations will flow to it. Everyone in the world is going to look to Jerusalem because that's where the government of God is going to be set up. All nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways we're going to learn human beings are going to learn god's ways and we shall walk in his paths we're going to keep the commandments of god for out of zion shall go forth the law zion is jerusalem the laws of god will be promulgated all around the world from jerusalem it's going to be an exciting opportunity to be part of that we are called now to learn how to live by the laws of God, how to keep the commandments, how to keep the holy days, what they picture, what they mean, and how these holy days and how God's plan can guide our lives in a very positive direction. Down in verse 4, it says, He shall judge between nations, that is Jesus Christ, but we're going to be part of that. And rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and pruning uh, and their spears into pruning hooks, and they will learn war no more. This is what's coming. You can be part of that government if you see the big picture, if you stay focused on that big picture, and you prepare to be part of that big picture. In Isaiah chapter 11, another prophecy. And again, this is going to come, and you can be part of this. Isaiah 11, <clears throat> talking about conditions in the coming kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. says here, The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. Now, they don't do that today. Wolves eat lambs. But going to, there's a time coming when a wild wolf will be able to lie down with a lamb. Their natures are going to be changed in some way. Bible doesn't tell us exactly how this is going to happen. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. You know, not to eat it. <laughs> not to eat it, but to play with it and sleep with it. And the calf with the young lion. Again, very different from this world's condition. And a little child will lead them. Children will be able to play with a lion. That's going to be fun. Have this big furry thing curl up on your lap or down by your feet. 
uh, maybe take a ride on a, an elephant or something like that. Uh, the cow and the bear will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Apparently, God's going to change their digestive tract. In verse 9, it says, they shall, no, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of God. Someone is going to have to fill the earth with the knowledge of God. This is going to be an opportunity for those that learn to live by the laws of God. Understand the plan and purpose of, of God. They're going to be able to share that information with everyone all over the world. It's an exciting opportunity. But now notice something else in the New Testament. You know, some people say, oh, you're just an Old Testament church and you only use the Old Testament. No. Jesus Christ mentions some of the very same things in the New Testament, talking about the coming kingdom of God. Isaiah, uh, the book of Acts, <clears throat> chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, 18, actually verse 19 through 21. Acts 3, verses 19 through 21. Peter is preaching here and he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. Change your life. You come out of this world, get focused in a different direction, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It's talking about a time when Jesus Christ returns and sets up a government on this earth. It's called the times of refreshing. You know, if you've ever been out working on a hot day and you come in and take a shower, a cool shower, it's very refreshing. You just, you just feel great. You feel better. Or if you're very thirsty and you have something cool to drink, it's very refreshing. It's stimulating. It makes you feel good. Peter was talking about a time coming on the world on the world scene, a time of refreshing coming from God, uh, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. There's a time coming when everything's going to be restored. And we're going to talk about what's going to be restored here in just a minute. Um, the times of restitution which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Here we go again. God has a plan, had that plan from the very beginning. He's got an eternal purpose that started in the beginning of creation. It's going to go on forever and that you can be part of that. I can be part of that. We can be part of that. If we catch the vision, if we see the big picture, if we orient our lives towards that, a time of restitution is called the great restoration, when everything is going to be restored, when things are going to be set right, religion, government, whatever. Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 and 2, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving, but I shall return and gather you together, and you're going to be where I am going to be. The Bible says his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives and he's going to rule this earth from Jerusalem. We're not going to be off in heaven. Christ is going to return, bring the saints with him. We're going to reign on this earth if we qualify. If we stay focused on that big picture, if we don't get sidetracked off in some other direction. In Malachi chapter 3, a couple of other scriptures talking about this big picture. Malachi chapter 3, at the very end of the Old Testament. We're told there that God is going to send his messenger, verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Someone is going to prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ's first coming. But the implication is someone else. Another group, another group of people is going to prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ a second time. You know, Mr. Armstrong focused on that verse. That was his goal. Mr. Armstrong has been dead for quite some time. Our focus should still be preparing the way for the return of Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> in Malachi chapter 4, you might want to read the whole chapter. It's only six verses long, but it talks about a day that is coming. It's going to burn like an oven. It's going to be a judgment time. Uh, the wicked are going to be burned up and become ashes under the feet of the righteous. 
but part of the message that's to be delivered prior to the return of Jesus Christ. It says, remember the law of Moses, my servant. Don't forget the commandments of God. Remember those commandments. Begin to keep them, understand them, so that you can teach others those commandments and those laws. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The context of this scripture and this prophecy is really the end of the age. But as Jesus showed in Matthew 17, John the Baptist was a forerunner, fulfilling this in part. But the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is going to be right before Jesus Christ returns. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. There's going to be an emphasis on family relations, right family relations, putting families back together, putting fractured families, making them whole. This is going to be an exciting time. Let's look finally then at uh, Matthew 17, the a place in the New Testament where Jesus refers to this prophecy. In fact, the disciples were asking Jesus Christ about the prophecy. Matthew 17, verse 10 says, And his disciples asked him, saying, When do the scribes say that Elijah must, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things, recapture true values. Now, that has been the motto of Ambassador College. It's the motto today of Living University, of recapturing true values, getting back to what is right and good and wholesome, pointing people in the right direction. They're not going to be deceived going off in some different direction. And they're not going to climb a ladder against the wrong wall and then get up at the top and realize, hey, nothing up here. This isn't fulfilling. This isn't exciting. This is really kind of boring. God doesn't want that to happen to people. He's coming to restore all things, to recapture true values, to get back to a right foundation. Notice the application then of this. Notice what the disciples actually did in their ministry. And this is a foretaste of what we're going to be doing in the coming kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, in verse 6, Comments here made by uh, people that were listening to the apostles. Uh, they were persecuting the apostles and says when they did not find them, they dragged Jason. Jason was apparently the man who owned the home where they were staying. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. He's talking about Paul and Peter, and James, and John, that what they were preaching was literally turning the Roman Greek world upside down, that Caesar is not a god, that the Sabbath is something that we should keep. The holy days picture the plan of God. There is a purpose of human life. We can be part of God's family. We can reign on this earth with Jesus Christ. That's what they were preaching. You know, Today, the application might be that uh, the Sabbath has not been done away with. The holy days are not Jewish, they're God's. We shouldn't be keeping Christmas and Easter. We're not going to heaven when we die. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. We can reign with him on this earth. Your brethren, if we're doing our job, we're going to be turning the world upside down or right side up might be a better way of putting it. But the disciples were doing this. They were turning their world upside down. You know, as you look around the world today, this scripture becomes even more significant and more important. You know, we are in the midst of what is called today a cultural war. There's been books written about these things. The struggle to define America, making sense of the battles over family, art, education, law, and politics. You know, this cultural war is between those who want to do away with the laws of God. They want to get rid of traditional values, traditional values about the, what the role of a man is in society, the role of a woman in society. They want to mix it all up. They want to get rid of religious values. They say anybody that believes in God is stupid, is ridiculous. The Bible is just a bunch of myths and stories. It's not the word of God. 
Yet there are people that want to live by the laws of God. There are people that believe that God does exist, that values haven't changed. They're still true. There's still a right role for men and a right role for women. Another book along the same lines, The Choice, America at the Crossroads of Ruin or Rebirth. America at the Crossroads of Ruin. Are we going down the tubes? Are we in the process of renewing ourselves? You know, many liberal teachers and preachers today think that we can get rid of these old values because they're all old-fashioned. You know, men and women aren't really that different. That uh, Being a man or being a woman is just something that's sociologically determined. And that's a pretty big stretch. You know, you look in the mirror, boys and girls are different. Men and women are different. The brains of men and women are different. They think differently. They function differently. But these are fundamental values that people are trying to get rid of today. What is sobering, and a number of books are written about this also, this book by Jim Nelson Black entitled When Nations Die. He's a cultural historian. He's looking at nations that went down the tubes of empires that crumbled and joined the dustbin of history. And he's saying they had certain things in common. They got in trouble economically. They began to treat the law lightly or ignore the laws. They began to throw away traditional values. They drifted away from a religious foundation. And he's saying America, Britain, France, much of the Western world is doing the same thing. Your brethren, we are approaching a period of time when we're going to see nations go down the tubes, nations coming apart. We're living in a period of time like that. And people are not going to understand what is happening and why these things are happening. You, know, you can't throw away fundamental values without there being a cost, a severe cost. Brethren, we have been called to come out of this world that's going down the tubes, that's crumbling, that's throwing away foundational values. We have been called to restore right values, to restore a true understanding of God's way of life. It's an incredible opportunity. It's going to be an exciting opportunity. But we've been called literally to turn the world right side up, just as the apostles did in their time. They were accused of turning the world upside down. But what they were doing was focusing on the truth. Brethren, we're here at the feast to refocus on God's great plan and purpose. This Feast of Tabernacles pictures this coming kingdom of God that's going to restore peace to this earth and restore true knowledge to this earth. We're here to be reminded of our mission. We're called to be reminded of our mission, to preach the gospel of the coming kingdom of God, to prepare a people to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth to focus on a mission that is much greater than ourselves. You know, many people go through life focusing on just their own self. You know, my job, my life, my family, my this, my that. And they wind up in many cases being rather frustrated because they're just focused on this little issue. We have been called to focus on a much bigger picture, to serve mankind, to serve God in the coming kingdom of God to make life different for people, to show people the way to the truth. Brethren, we need to wake up. We're living in a period of time. We're going to see some very major things happening in the years just ahead. We need to be focused on a bigger picture than ourselves. We need to be preparing for the coming kingdom of God. In the final part of the sermon, I want to focus on three big jobs that we're going to be doing in the coming kingdom of God. Focus on things that we can be preparing to do now, preparing for now. And it's pictured by this Feast of Tabernacles and the coming kingdom of God. Number one, we're going to be involved in restoring right government. Restoring right government to this earth. This is a big need today, a huge need. This felt all around the world. You know, this past summer we saw what was called the Arab Spring when the Arab nations in the Middle East, all across North Africa and up and down the Middle East, were throwing off or attempting to throw off governments that had held them down, had persecuted them, 
had exploited them. And they wanted to get rid of them. They wanted freedom. They wanted the opportunity to grow and develop and expand and enjoy life. Not just have a few people at the top enjoying life, but for everyone to enjoy. You know, the United States government is basically broke. Our parties, political parties, can't get along with each other. They each want to be in power. And they're exploiting people in various ways. The nations of Europe in the European Union, leaders there are struggling and bickering with each other. And they've got financial problems, and they're concerned about the future. Leaders in Africa, leaders in Asia are struggling for power. Everybody wants to get in control. This world needs right government. But that right government is coming. Notice quickly just a couple of scriptures. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. What is Jesus Christ going to re do when he returns to this earth? Beginning in verse 15 of Revelation 11. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world, the nations of this world, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus Christ is coming back to take over the reins of government, failed nations, to solve their problems, to end the bickering, to bring peace. That's what he's going to do. And it mentions down here in uh, <clears throat> verse 17, you've taken your great power and reigned. Nations were angry. And your wrath has come, the time of the dead, but they should be judged. And you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints. Christ is going to come back and make kings and priests out of those of you, those of us, that have been willing to come out of this world, focus on a bigger picture, and prepare to serve mankind and to serve God in the coming kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And I'm sure we'll hear more about this as we go through the feast what Jesus Christ is going to do when he comes back to this earth. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ and his future role. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He's going to become the king of kings and lord of lords and rule over this earth. His name will be called Wonderful. Boy, he's a great ruler, a counselor. He gives good advice, a mighty God. He's able to do things. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, he knows how to bring peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David uh, and over his kingdom, it shall be ordered and established with justice and judgment forever. This is what's going to happen when Christ returns. We're going to have an opportunity to be part of that, Revelation 5.10, to become kings and priests, to reign on this earth. Brethren, one of the reasons that the Church of God has developed a living leadership class for the church that we've gone through, many of you have, that we've developed living leadership classes or classes for living university on Christian leadership, developed an advanced leadership training program for the ministers. One of the reasons we're doing this is because we understand that we're to be preparing a people to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. They can reign with love, reign with kindness, reign with gentleness, and yet to be firm where it needs to be. You know, there are many interesting and profitable books on leadership and teamwork, and I'd encourage you to focus on some of these things. Build your background. Come to understand what real leadership is. Leadership just isn't telling people what to do. Do this, do that. I'm in charge. No, that's, that's just telling people what to do. You know, leaders inspire people. They encourage people. They point people in a positive direction. They give thanks for people that are willing to serve. They help people grow. Leadership is a very important topic that we need to become uh, expert in. So we're going to be restoring right government. The second thing we're going to be doing is restoring right religion. Restoring right religion. And we're told in Revelation 12:9 that Satan has deceived the whole world. He's deceived the world with all kinds of different religions and philosophies and superstitions. 
He's got people pointed in all kinds of different directions. You know, in our so-called Western world today, many atheists are publishing books like uh, Richard Dawkins published a book entitled The God Delusion. If you believe in God, you're really behind the times. You're kind of stupid. Uh, you know, you're, you're not scientific. You, you don't understand what you're doing. Uh, you're outdated. You know, Mr. Dawkins apparently doesn't understand or doesn't believe the scripture that we read in Psalm 14, verse 1. It says, the fool says there is no God. It's a fool that says there is no God. The world has lost sight of that today. I want to mention to you, too, that if you live your life like there is no God, if you live your life like the laws of God don't matter, then you are going to be making a very foolish decision. You're part of our job in the coming kingdom of God, and part of our job now is to learn the benefits of living by the laws of God, the health benefits of following the health laws, the family benefits of following the instructions that God has given us in, in his word for men and for women, for husbands and for wives. Part of our job is going to be pointing people to the true God. You know, we have published a booklet entitled The Real God, Proofs and Promises. The Real God. Now, there are many different gods that are worshipped in this world, but there's only one true God. I would encourage you to read through the book of Ezekiel. You might turn there quickly, Ezekiel chapter 7. Ezekiel was called by God to be a prophet, to be a watchman to the house of Israel. Now, the Israelites had already been carried captive over 120 years earlier, but he's writing about a future captivity coming. So he's talking about the future, the future of the Western Israelite nations. And he's saying that difficult times are going to come because you've turned away from God. Let me just read a couple of verses from uh, Ezekiel chapter 7. One of the themes that runs through the book of Ezekiel is that as these prophecies come together, Ezekiel says over and over and over 60 or 70 times, they will know. The peoples of this world, the Israelite nations, will know, will learn that there is a God. Notice in Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 1. Moreover, the word of God came to me, saying, You son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, The end, or an end, has come upon the four corners of the land. I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways. Latter part of verse 4. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. You're going to see my prophecies come to pass. You're going to come to realize there is a God in heaven that is guiding world events, that is intervening and is going to make certain things happen. People are going to be punished for making bad decisions. People that obey God are going to be rewarded for their good decisions. Down in the very last verse, it mentions, according to what this is, um, the king will mourn, the prince will be closed with desolation, and the hands of the common people will tremble. I will do to them according to their way. They're going to reap what they sow. You can't throw away true values and expect things to go well. According to what they deserve, I will judge them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. The time is coming when people are going to understand that there is a God. And part of our job is to point people in that direction. If you have not proven to yourself, and I'm talking to young people, I'm talking to older people, is God real? Is there a real God? Please go through the booklet that we published on that subject. Prove it for yourself. Because if you've never proven there is a God, you're liable to get sidetracked, pull you off in a wrong direction. We also need to prove, and you need to prove to yourself, is the Bible the inspired word of God? Is this book actually inspired by God? Was it preserved by God? Does it contain unique information in it? This is part of the big picture that we need to be focusing on. Is the Bible the word of God? You know, Proverbs 1, 7 says that the word of God is the foundation, the starting point, the beginning of knowledge. You know, the Bible gives us guidelines that will point us in the right direction.
of how to do things. David said in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows me how to live. It shows me where to go. It teaches me how to live. Jesus said, Your word, God, is truth. Many people don't believe that today. They think it's just a bunch of stories. And yet the Bible says, Thy word is truth. God is looking, as we read in Isaiah 66, verse 2, He's looking for people who literally tremble at my word. They read it, they prove it, they believe it, and they follow it. Those are the people that are going to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. The third thing we're going to be doing in the coming kingdom of God is to restore true values. And we read that scripture in Matthew 17, 11. Restoring true values in literally every walk of life. We talked about a cultural war that we are in today. There are many people that want to do away with the laws of God. They want to do away with religion. Anything that's been traditional, traditional roles of men, traditional roles of women, are to be done away with. We're supposed to throw them out, and anything goes. And yet you look at what's happening today. People are promoting homosexuality and same-sex marriages. People lie. They steal. They do anything they can get away with. These are things that are going to bring our country down. They're going to destroy Western civilization. Things are going to be very different. One of the things, one of the fundamental values, some of the fundamental values we've got to restore and bring back is literally the role of men and the role of women, the role, the godly role of men and the godly role of women in society. The Bible is very clear about these subjects. I'd encourage you to read the first chapter of Joshua, where God is talking with Joshua, guiding him. He's going to be leading the nation of Israel. He says, be strong, be courageous. You stand up for the truth. Teach people my way of life. Joshua did, and the nation benefited from that. He was a man, and many men today don't want to take positions. They tend to retire, get out of the way. But men are supposed to lead. They're supposed to guide. If you go to uh, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about the role of men and the role of women in marriage. Now, many people think marriage is, is outdated. It's done away with. We don't need it anymore. But uh, marriage is part of God's plan for developing men and developing women in specific roles. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. In other words, adapt yourself. Learn to work with your husband as a team member. The husband is the head of the wife. He's to lead and guide, but to do so in a loving way, in a caring way. Husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Husbands, love your wives. You know, show concern for them. Love them. Give them time. Serve them. Help them. Verse 28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. You stub your toe, you take care of it. Sometimes we're rough with our wives and we are kind of callous. Shouldn't do that. We are members of Christ's body. Uh, it says, nevertheless, uh, verse 33, let each one of you in particular, men, love your own wife as himself and wives see that you respect her husband. These are roles that were given in society. Your boys should be able to look to their fathers and see what a man should function, how a man should function, protecting, providing, taking care of, being understanding, being patient. Girls should be able to look at their mothers, but they don't say things about their husbands. They're homemakers. They make that home a wonderful place to be in. Uh, they're very industrious. Uh, they're very capable. If you go back and read Proverbs 31... The virtuous woman. It's interesting that uh, in Proverbs, the only two things that are more valuable than rubies are wisdom and a virtuous wife. Interesting thought. Shows what God's premium is. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her worth is far above rubies. Her husband safely trusts her. She's trustworthy. She does him good and not evil. 
She seeks wool and flax. She's a very industrious person. She's like a merchant ship, brings her food and things from afar. She provides food for her family. Uh, she considers a field and buys it. She's capable of doing these things. Uh, <clears throat> she extends her hand to the poor. She's a very generous person. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. She makes a tapestry. She's uh, very creative. Uh, her clothing is fine linen. Her husband is known in the gates for the way he dresses and so on. But notice also in verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. She opens her mouth with wisdom. She studies the Proverbs. She's able to give wise counsel and wise advice. You know, these are fundamental values that have existed for thousands of years, and yet people today want to throw these things away. Just notice some of the, uh, the books that have been published here recently to illustrate this cultural war thing. Brethren, we are in a war with the God of this world. Paul mentions this in Ephesians chapter 6, that we're fighting against principalities and powers in high places. Satan is out to destroy God's way of life. He's out to mislead men and women and confuse boys and girls. We're living in an age, a mother wrote this book entitled The War Against Boys, how misguided feminism is harming our young men. They're talking about raising boys more like girls because they're too aggressive, they're too active. You know, we need to calm them down, teach them to play with uh, dolls and uh, you know, hold hands with each other and things like that. We need to recapture true values. You know, boys are different than girls. Boys are active. Uh, we've got a grandson that's uh, three years old. He likes to play with cars. I've got two granddaughters, his sisters, that like to play with puzzles. I was playing with the puzzles on the floor one night with the girls, and here comes the little guy with his tractor. <laughs> right through the puzzle. And the girl, oh, he's, he's breaking our puzzle apart. He was having fun. Yeah, boys are different than girls. But some of these books that deal with the subject, here's one entitled The Hair-Raising Joys of Raising Boys. <laughs> the Hair-Raising Joy of Raising Boys. They're a challenge. Another one entitled Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys. They're, they're warriors. You know, they... One of our grandsons, every time he'd come into the house, he'd go into the closet where the sweeper was, and he'd pull out one of the tubes that went on the sweeper, and that was his sword. And he was ready to you know, fight wild animals and so on. The girls didn't do things like that. Some other books in a very practical vein, one is, is entitled Raising a Modern Day Night. How do you raise kids in an environment that's trying to teach them all kinds of weird ideas? Another book entitled The Man of Steel and Velvet. A man should be strong, but he should also have gentle qualities. These are fundamental books that are extremely helpful in recapturing true values. Let me mention just a couple of other ones quickly. The Bible says that a woman should focus on uh, keeping a home together and raising children and yet many ladies are told today, well, that's silly, that's old-fashioned, that'll rob you of your future. Yet there was a book written a number of years ago entitled, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle Rules the World. The incredible impact that mothers can have, that care about their children, take time to, to work with their children. Another book entitled, Raising a Modern-Day Princess. You know, how do you raise girls in a society that is promoting... Uh, uh, the idea that girls should be very sexy and they should just do whatever boys do and uh, get away from fundamental values. It helps to, to get perspectives on raising girls in such an environment. Another one, growing strong daughters. This doesn't mean that girls just roll over and play dead and they do whatever somebody tells them to do. No, they should have values of their own. You read about Deborah. You read about uh, Esther. Yeah, Esther was apparently a very beautiful girl. She was selected by a king to be one, one of his wives. But she was there apparently for a reason. She learned that her people were going to be decimated, destroyed. And her cousin, Mordecai, said, you know, you're there for a reason. You need to go talk with the king. She said, well, I can't do that. You know, if I walk in and I'm not invited, he'll kill me. He said, you're there for a reason. God has put you there. She said, pray for me, fast for me. And I'll go see him. Whether I die or not, I'll do this. The girl had courage. She had values. 
She had a focus. She trusted God. Another book entitled The Excellent Wife. Nothing wrong with being a wife. Nothing wrong with being a strong woman, but learning how to work with a husband and work with your children. Brethren, we are living in a world today that has gone nuts, that has gone bananas, so to speak. It's, it's gone off track. We've been called to become part of God's family. We've been called to put the world right, to put the world back on a right track. We've been given guidelines in the Bible of all kinds of things. There's going to be a restoration of all things that is coming. You and I have been called to become part of that. Brethren, that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. God wants us to come together every year in the fall to focus on this big picture, to catch the vision that Jesus Christ is going to return, reign on this earth, give opportunities to the saints to teach the laws of God to all human beings, to all mankind, to turn the world right side up. Brethren, that's why we're here at the feast. To have the best feast ever and to have the most exciting and fulfilling life that you could ever have, I would encourage you to catch the vision, to focus on this big picture, pictured by the coming Feast of Tabernacles about the coming kingdom of God. And I would encourage you to seek first the kingdom of God because everything else will fall into place if you do that.